Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to talk to you today about Thanksgiving. And uh, I, I so appreciate Pastor Eugene's message last week. And it was about thinking and feeling and acting. How many of you remember that message? Thinking and feeling and acting. And, you know, I love that verse of Scripture that we are to be transformed by changing the way we think. In Romans 12, transformed by changing the way we think. Now, you know, that's, that's, a, theological, that's a theological curve that some people have to make because we're washed by the blood of Jesus. We're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But Paul says, be transformed by changing the way you think. And because this week is Thanksgiving week, this, this Thursday is Thanksgiving, it's amazing. It's one of my favorite holidays ever. And I believe that we need to practice and be intentional about having gratitude in our heart and being thankful in our lives. There's always something we can be thankful about. And we as believers need to lead the way. So today, I know for several weeks, we've heard amazing messages about discipleship. I loved Pastor Nick's messages about discipleship. They were so good, what it means to disciple people, the the nature and the character of disciples and all of those things. And, And the message last week about learning how to think and feel and act as a Christian and that's part of being a disciple and discipling other people, helping them to learn how to think and feel and act. And so today, I want to move along that line. And instead of of a pastor coming to preach to you, I would like for you in your mind to sort of adjust the atmosphere today. And let's let's look at this as kind of a, a time of discipleship, a discipleship class. And one of the things that I would like to do is tell you that as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we lead by example. And one of the most important things we can do is develop an attitude of gratitude. Christians are thankful people, aren't they? Christians are thankful people. They're thankful that there was a Savior who sought us and found us when we weren't even looking. He knew that we had a need and he came looking for us and searching for us and he found us and he saved us and he gave us joy and peace. He delivered us from the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, the presence of sin. He's given us a future and a hope and and it is amazing all that the Lord continues to do in our lives. So we of All people have more to be thankful for than anyone else. And it is important in this climate in our nation that we demonstrate and that we lead the way in being thankful. And I'm going to give you some reasons why that is super important. So as believers, we need to be thankful. I, I always get excited when I see examples of... God's word being confirmed uh, through secular sources. And, uh, and I came across uh, some articles, and I just want to share this with you about the power of being thankful. The power of being thankful. The, these are uh, from some secular publications. And, uh, and let me just share this with you. The fact that, gra- that gratitude may be one of the most overlooked tools that we all have access to every day. Cultivating gratitude doesn't cost any money, and it certainly doesn't take much time. But the benefits are enormous. And research, secular research, has proven this. Number one, gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Gratitude opens the door to more relationships. Not only does saying thank you constitute good manners, but showing appreciation can help you win new friends. According to a 2014 study published in Emotion, which is a peer-reviewed scientific journal, the study found that thanking a new acquaintance makes them more likely to seek an ongoing relationship. So whether you thank a stranger for holding the door for you or you send a quick thank you note to a coworker who's helped you with a project, acknowledging other people's contributions can lead to new opportunities. Here's number two. Gratitude 
improves physical health. Physical health. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people, according to a 2012 study published in Personality and Individual Differences. Not surprisingly, grateful people are also more likely to take care of their health. They exercise more often and are more likely to attend regular checkups with their doctors, which contributes to further longevity. Number three, gratitude improves psychological health. How many of you know there are people who need some psychological health? Don't look at your neighbor. Just keep your eyes straight up here. Psychological health. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Robert A. Emmons, PhD, a leading gratitude researcher. I didn't even know there was such a thing. This is such an important field of study. There are people who dedicate themselves to researching gratitude and the effects of gratitude on people. Uh, Let's see. He is a leading gratitude researcher. He's conducted multiple studies on the link between gratitude and well-being. His research confirms that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression. Let me just clarify what he's saying is it is measurable. It is measurable. The sense of happiness and well-being and reducing depression is measurable in people who are thankful. Number four, gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Grateful people are more likely to behave in a pro-social manner even when others behave less kind. According to a 2012 study by the University of Kentucky, study participants who ranked higher on gratitude scales were less likely to retaliate against others, even when given negative feedback. They experienced more sensitivity and empathy towards other people and a decreased desire to seek revenge. Here's one you want to hear. Grateful people sleep better. Isn't that amazing? Grateful people sleep better. Writing in a gratitude journal improves sleep, according to a 2011 study published in Applied Psychology, Health and Well-Being. Spending just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed can help you sleep better and longer. Number six, gratitude improves self-esteem. This is really interesting. Gratitude Improves Self-Esteem, a 2014 study published in the Journal of Applied Sports Psychology found that gratitude increased athletes' self-esteem, which is an essential component to optimal performance. Other studies have shown that gratitude reduces social comparisons rather than becoming resentful towards people who have more money or better jobs, which is a major factor in reduced self-esteem. Grateful people are able to appreciate each other's accomplishments. And here's the final one I'll share with you, number seven, although it goes on and on and on and on. Gratitude increases mental strength. Listen to this. This is super interesting. It increases mental strength. For years, research has shown that gratitude not only reduces stress, but it also plays a major role in overcoming trauma. In overcoming trauma. How many of you in this room know, you personally know, uh, Louise Dempsey, who is now Dory? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Everybody look around. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Everybody look around and find someone who has their hand raised. And you want to seek these people out after church and you want to ask them, tell me Louise's story. She is living proof of this here in our midst. Her entire family was murdered years ago. She's the the only survivor. Uh, Actually, no, she had one other brother who was not there. Murdered before. She almost lost her life. And and it is an amazing story. I'm not going to get into all that, but find one of those people and ask them. Listen to this. Gratitude plays a major role in overcoming trauma. A 2006 study published in Behavior Research and Therapy found that Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experienced lower rates of PTSD. A 2003 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that gratitude was a major contributor to resilience following the terrorist attacks on September the 11th. 
recognizing all you have to be thankful for, even during the worst times of your life, fosters resilience. We all have the ability and opportunity to cultivate gratitude. Simply take a few moments to focus on all that you have rather than, listen to this, is so amazing the way, the way they worded this. Simply take a few moments to focus on all that you have rather than complain about all the things you think you deserve. Uh, I'm just reading this from these scientific journals, but I'm telling you, I'm preaching right now a whole lot better than your amen and me. So I just want to let you know you got some catching up to do. So I want all of you to repeat after me right now. You ready? Here we go. Pastor Paul, how are you doing? Here's my answer. Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Now I want to ask you a question. Hey church, how are you doing? Oh, I like hearing that. And it really is true. It's true every single day of your life and my life that we are doing better than we deserve. If I were to give this message a title, I think that's probably what I would entitle it. I'll never forget. It was probably a decade, maybe 15 years ago when Donnie Cochran, who plays bass up here every Sunday, one of my best friends, Donnie Cochran came to a band practice we had on Thursday night. And I walked in and was greeting everybody. I said, Donnie, how are you doing? And Donnie said, better than I deserve. And I was like, oh, I didn't know what to do with that for a minute. I had to think about that. And, and then I said, yeah, 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 that's, that's good. I like that. And he had been listening to Dave Ramsey. I didn't know that at the time, but every time I would ask him, Donnie, how you doing? He'd say better than I deserve. And I'm telling you that thing wiggled down into my heart until I began to ponder and just meditate on the reality of that. And I adopted that. And anybody you run into who knows me will say, oh yeah, you ask Pastor Paul how's he, how he's doing. He will say better than I deserve. I just haven't found a better answer to how you doing? How's it going? You know, what's happening? I've just, that is the answer that describes the attitude of my heart. And I want to let you own that for yourself. I would encourage you as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ to adopt that, write it down so you don't forget it, remember it, get it in your brain, get it in your heart. And when anybody asks you, how you doing today? How's it going? Tell them better than I deserve. Because the truth of the matter is we are all doing better than we deserve. I'm going to, I'm going to elaborate on that in just a little bit. So Over and over and over in the word of God, we are commanded to give thanks. Over and over and throughout the Psalms. I mean, it is just amazing how many times we are commanded. Psalms 92, he says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. As a matter of fact, men, can I just can I just encourage you, men, when you come home, I know many men come home and they're kind of frustrated. The atmosphere of the home isn't just the way they would like for it to be. And a lot of men don't realize the power and the influence that you have when you step across the threshold. If you come in depressed, if you come in upset, if you come in angry, if you come in, I mean, some of you guys work with men who are like that and you don't want to be a around them. But somehow, sometimes that stuff gets on us. And when you come in the house, I'm telling you that if you are happy, if you are thankful, if you're glad to be home, if you've got a smile on your face, if you're ready to hug everybody and say, how was your day? I'm so glad to be home. I love you so much. I was thinking about you all day long. I promise you people's faces will brighten up and they will get excited when daddy comes home, when the husband walks through the door, you have great power in that way. You can control far more than the devil is letting you realize the atmosphere in your home. And it begins with being, with being thankful. He says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name. Psalms 105. He says, oh, give thanks to the Lord and call on his name. Make his deeds known among the people. Talk about what God has done. And it's important that we talk about what God has done. It's important that we know about the Red Sea and about David and Goliath and about the walls of Jericho and about Noah and about Samuel and about all of that stuff. But it is more important for men to come home and tell their families what God 
God said to my heart today, what God spoke to me, what God did for me today. It needs to be real and come from your mouth, your own experience, what God is doing in your life, how God is blessing you, how God is helping you on your job, how God is speaking to your heart and encouraging you. It makes a difference when your kids are not just hearing about what God did a long time ago out of the Bible. And that's true. That's absolutely true. But I'm telling you, it makes a world of difference when you can tell them from your life, your experiences, how God is helping you, encouraging you, blessing you, giving you wisdom, leading you, uh, solving problems, solving issues. Psalms 106, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good. He's good. How many of you are thankful we don't serve a bad God? He's a good God. He's not moody. He doesn't wake up in a different mood every day. You don't know what to expect. He is a good God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can depend on his faithfulness. You can depend on his mercy. You can depend on his loving kindness. And that is, a, that is an amazing... We have something to give thanks for. We're constantly, I mean, in almost every book of the Bible, we are encouraged, commanded, and reminded to give thanks to the Lord. And still some people would say, well, you know, why? Why? Is God some egomaniac? No, not at all. Not at all. This is for our benefit. This is for our benefit. It changes my life. It changes my attitude. It changes my outlook. It helps me sleep better at night. It helps me navigate trauma in my life. It helps me in every single way when I develop and adopt an attitude of gratitude. So let me just give you some reasons why. Number one, because we need to remember God's goodness and mercy towards us every day. We need to remember that. You know why? Because we are forgetful people and we need to remember God's goodness and God's mercy to us every day. Now, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I have the ability to see every one of you in this place today. I was telling the, the team backstage before we came out in 1980, a doctor looked at me and said, you're going to be blind in three weeks. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful. I can still see every one of you. I'm thankful he was wrong and God was right. But not only am I thankful about that, if all of you who are here, you're, you're looking up here and you can see some red tone kind of pinkish lights, you know, and you see these blue ones up here. And if you just scan the audience real quickly, most of you, unless you're colorblind, you can see the green on the rug and the green in the pew and the green in their hair over there. And you can see, you can see all of the different, when you step outside and you look at a tree line, you can see a hundred different shades of green. God didn't have to give you cells in your eye that could determine all of those different minute shades of green in a tree line. But he did. He did. We don't often think about that, but he did that because that is the heart of a loving father who is generous and who is kind. We didn't even, we didn't even know to ask for that. And he just gave it to us. Let me just move on to something because uh, I can tell this is just going right over some of your heads. God gave us taste buds. <laughs> and we live in the culinary epicenter of the universe. I'm telling you what. People, when I was pastoring, we'd have guests come in and they'd say, Pastor Paul, I understand we're in Cajun country. I said, that is right, with a big smile on my face. They say, what is a Cajun? What is a Cajun? I pondered that. I thought about that. I asked people, what is it? I couldn't get a good answer until finally one day it hit me. A Cajun is somebody who eat anything that lives in a ditch. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter if it's a frog, a crawfish, an alligator. It makes no difference. And they can cook it so good you want seconds. God gave us taste buds. Oh, oh, oh. I can tell the difference between milk chocolate and dark chocolate. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I can tell the difference between my wife's gumbo and everybody else's gumbo. Thank you, Lord. I'm telling you what, God didn't have to do that. God did not have to do that. 
But he did because that's the kind of God we serve, the kind of God who loves us. And we could go on and on and on talking about the generosity of our Heavenly Father and his amazing kindness to us. We need to be thankful because we're born with a bent towards being negative. We're born with a bent towards not seeing the good, but we're born with a bent towards doubt and discouragement and anxiety. And if we are not careful to develop thanksgiving in our heart and develop gratitude in our heart, if we, if we, don't, if we are not purposeful about that, we will get sucked into the undertow of life where we just focus on what I don't have that I want and what I think I I deserve that I don't have and life begins to feel hard and wearisome and overbearing and I don't have a smile on my face anymore. My forehead is all wrinkled up and when I try to talk to somebody about Jesus, they say, no, thank you. I've got enough problems of my own and we don't want to represent the Lord like that. Jesus told the disciples, he said, I want you to think of the flowers of the field. They don't toil, they don't labor, and yet they are clothed better than Solomon, more splendidly than Solomon. Think of the birds of the air. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have freezers. They're not worried about the next meal, where it's coming from. What a picture of freedom. And Jesus is saying, when people look at you, I want them to see the same joy, the same peace. I want them to see the same lack of worry and concern. We need to talk like we have a Savior. We need to live like we know God is in control. We need to not be like the world around us, fretting and worrying and growing one ulcer after another because things aren't going the way we would like for them to go. We belong to another kingdom with a king who loves us and has promised to care for every single one of our needs. As a matter of fact, being thankful is the first step to learning how to be content learning how to be content. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, this amazing verse of scripture, the apostle Paul wrote, he says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. And we know that part, but we need the next line. The next line in that verse, he says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Thank him for all he has done. Just a verse or two later, he says, not that I ever was in need, but I have learned how to be content. Being content is a, something we learn. It's not automatic. It's something we choose. It's something we fight for. It's something we learn. It's a skill that we develop. We are, we're, we're born with a bent in the other direction, but we can learn how to be content. And we learn that, Paul learned that by choosing gratitude. And when we choose gratitude, we're reminded of all that God has done for us. Our joy is stirred up. It, it, it begins to bubble in our heart again. Faith is strengthened. Fear releases its grip in our heart. And everything in my life is affected. My relationship with God is affected. My relationship with others is affected. My outlook on life changes. I'm not going to die cold and alone in the dark. I'm going to live and declare the works of God. As a matter of fact, one of my, one of my spiritual heroes is a man by the name of Matthew Henry. He was born back in the 1600s. Most, most all of my heroes, I have a few friends who are heroes to be, but most all of my friends are dead. Uh, that way, that way I know they're not going to change. You know, they said what they said. They, they wrote what they wrote and it ain't going to change. And so Matthew Henry is one of those guys. He only, he only lived till he was 52 years old. He was a pastor born in Wales, ministered in England. And, uh, in his 52 short years experienced a lot of heartache, uh, buried multiple children. His, he had, I think the first three or four of his children died, uh, uh, early in, in, within the first two or three years of their life. It was, it was a hard time to be alive, and there were a lot of difficulties in life. Uh, in those 52 years, not only did he pastor, but he found time to write a six-volume commentary uh, on the Bible. And uh, he didn't quite finish the New Testament, but if you're ever looking for some, some great readings, if you can find an updated uh, version of Matthew Henry's commentaries. But listen to this. Matthew Henry one day was robbed. And I, I want to share this with you because this man has his PhD in Thanksgiving. 
Okay, He's got a PhD in Thanksgiving. He was robbed. And he said, even though I was robbed, I want to be thankful. How many of you have ever been robbed? Anybody ever had your house broken into, your car broken into, you know, somebody took something that you worked hard for? There is a sense of violation, is there not? There is a sense of anger, revenge. There's a sense of, you know, when you want to tap down that murder when it tries to raise its head, but you would just like to, I mean, that's just something to overcome. Matthew Henry was robbed and his response is, let me be thankful. I want to be thankful because first, I was never robbed before. Well, you know, that's something to be thankful for. I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Well, you know, that's something to be thankful for too, isn't it? When we stop and think about it. And then I thought, you know, that's, that's about all the things I could think of. But Matthew Henry goes on. He says, and third, because even though they took everything I had, it wasn't much. <laughs> it wasn't all that much. It was everything I had, but it just wasn't all that much. I'm telling you what, this is starting to work in my heart even now while I'm telling you this. He says, and fourth, I'm thankful because I was the one who was robbed and it wasn't me robbing somebody else. Praise God. Praise God, the Lord, because I'm certainly capable of that given the right circumstances, given the right given the right uh, environment, you know, God had mercy on me. God redeemed me. God taught me a new way to live. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know that we have something to be thankful for in the midst of every circumstance that comes into our lives. If, if we are not thankful, if we do not choose gratitude, it's a whole nother story. The devil wants you to think that being negative and grumbling and murmuring and complaining. And, and listen, there, there are a lot of people who blame that. You know, that's just my personality. You know, that's the way my, my grandparents were, my parents that way. That's just, that's just who I am, Pastor. I just got to be who I am. You know, that's just who I am. Well, Jesus came to change the way you am. He, he came to change the way all of us am. And, and if, if I, here's, here's the point. The devil wants you to think. That all of those things, negativity, grumbling, murmuring, complaining, being ungrateful, not being thankful, that that might be unpleasant, but it's nothing more than just a harmless, benign attitude. That's all it is. It's just, it's just a, an attitude. That's it. But I want you to know, and I'm gonna, we're going to look at some scripture. It is actually the taproot out of which so many other sins grow. It is, it is the beginning. The truth of the matter is that ingratitude is the first step in a trend away from God. And it's so small and seems so insignificant that oftentimes we don't even notice the significance of not being thankful in my life. Thankful to God, thankful to others. It is the source of trouble. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think with me for just a minute. Think of the worst sins that you can think of in the entire world. All of the worst sins that have been committed over hundreds, even thousands and thousands of years. All of the violence, the worst violence possible. I want you to think of murder and betrayal and child abuse and sexual violence and war crimes and genocide. And if we would start today... And if we would trace backwards in time all of those terrible, horrible uh, uh, injustices, all of those sins, all of those terrible crimes, and went back all the way to the beginning of time, all the way to the garden. And I'll tell you what, let's don't stop there. Let's go even past the Garden of Eden. Let's step back into eternity. And I want to tell you, it's, and, and we can support this from the Word of God, that Lucifer was absolutely ungrateful and unthankful. And it was part of what got him expelled from the presence of God and cast out of heaven because he was not thankful 
for what God had done for him, for the way God had created him, for what he had, the privilege, the talents, the abilities that God had given him. And he was lifted up in pride, but it began with not being thankful to God for who he was and to God for what God had done for him. And that is the exact attitude that we see passed on to Adam and Eve when they're in the garden and they begin to get an attitude towards God like you're not being fair. You're, you're holding out on me. This is a good thing on the tree. You know, I mean, the serpent just pointed out this good thing, this good thing on the tree. It looks good, smells good, it feels good, and you're telling me I can't have it. Why would God, if he's just and if he's loving, and God, the devil is saying this exact same thing to some of you in this room today. It's the same lie he's told multiple generations down through the ages. Why did God give me this appetite and then tell me, no, I can't have that? I have these needs. I have these desires. And there's the fruit. There's the fruit. It's right there. And God said, you can have everything else. But this right here, this, you you can't have this. And the devil came and lied to them. And they began to feel unthankful and ungrateful for all that they had. They had a perfect environment. It was never too hot. It's never too cold. There's no stickers growing in the grass. I mean, they, it was the perfect physical environment, and neither one of them had a fallen nature. So they didn't know what it was to get angry with one another, to tell a lie to each other, to manipulate one another, to push each other's buttons. They had no idea. And it might be hard to be grateful for something you don't even realize is, is there until it's gone, but I'm telling you, they had more than enough to be thankful for. But instead, all of that was overshadowed by feeling like God is holding out on me. And you know what? If you're not careful, the devil will plant that same thought in your mind. He'll whisper that to you and he'll have you looking at other people and comparing your life with other people and comparing your circumstances and your situation and your marriage and your job and your car and your house with other people. And he'll say, you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. And he'll get that thing going in your head. And pretty soon you'll be, you'll totally forget you'll totally forget that Psalm 84 says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory and no good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. If God withholds something from you, it's because it's not good for you. That's the only reason. Our problem is we don't always know what's good for us. We don't know what's good. We put ourselves in the place of God and we pronounce things and say, that would be good for me. And it'd be like handing a, a loaded 45 automatic to a three-year-old saying, go outside and play with this. Not only that, but Romans 8.32 says, if God did not withhold his own son, but freely gave him up for all of us, why would he hold back anything else you needed? God, I need some cope. I need some faith. I need some love. I need some forgiveness. I need to be less selfish. Why would God hold back anything else when he's already given up his own son to free us? We have some things to be thankful for. If you have your Bible, how many of you have Bibles with you today? You can turn it on or you can open it up if you have the analog version. And I, you know, I want to I commend everybody here who reads the word. I do. I strongly, strongly commend you. It is our life. It is, it is just absolutely uh, amazing how the word of God will wash your mind. It will just wash your mind. Any of you have friends like that? You get around them and they're encouraging and life-giving. And when you walk away, you just feel better and life is brighter. And you just, man, you can't wait to get together with them again. And then there are some of those people that you want to cross the street when you see them coming because they're just always negative and all. The last thing you want to do is ask them how they're doing because they'll take an hour and a half and tell you about all their hurts and pains and aches and surgeries and people treated them bad and done them wrong. And, and you just walk away feeling like, gosh, there's no hope hope in the world. We're all going to die. It's horrible. It's terrible. And you know what? When you are in God's word, his word washes your mind. You don't have to wait until you can connect with that friendly friend. You can go to God's word and his word will wash your mind, give you direction. He'll, it will correct you. It will empower you and strengthen you. It is a life. It's breath. It's breath to us. Now, if you have your Bibles uh, turned on or opened up, take a look at Romans chapter one. Romans chapter 1, 
Oh, my goodness. It's, a, it's an amazing catalog of a downward progression of a society that has turned away from God and rejected God. And, and in Romans chapter 1, I would like to uh, direct your attention to the very last verse. And I, I, follow, I want you to follow along with me. I'm reading from the NLT, so your version might be slightly different. But I'm going to not read every word, and I'm going to read backwards. And this is not satanic, okay? This is not like playing the song backwards, okay? Don't get upset. But I'm going to read this chapter backwards until we get, you know, back up to around where I want to stop. But what I want you to do is if we read it forwards, we see the downward progression. And so I want us to start at the worst, and I want us to follow it up to where it started. Where did this stream first poke its head out of the ground? Where did all of this begin? So he says in verse 32, they knew God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, and yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them also. He's talking about people who are corrupt and wicked and and just bad, nasty, and mean just in every way. And he says, even though not everybody does those things, they watch it on TV or they applaud it on the stage or they pay money to watch it in movies and they encourage and they, they're just grateful. They promote these things. They're happy to see other people do these vile, wicked, terrible things. Uh, verse 31, they refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. Can you imagine people that are heartless? People that have no, they're hard, hard, no mercy at all. And I'm just going to continue to go backwards here. They refuse to understand. Have you ever, have you ever tried to get somebody to understand, you know, and they just refuse to understand? He's talking about a whole group of people. They refuse to, it's not that they don't understand, it's that they won't understand. That's what he's describing here. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They're backstabbers. They hate God. They're insolent. They're proud. They're boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Their lives became full of envy, uh, full of every kind of wicked, wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. It says in verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, God abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Now, just, just uh, I'm going to hit the pause button here for a second because I, I want to follow this up, but I want to hit the pause button here. This is one of the places in Romans chapter 1 where it describes the judgment of God. And you need to understand how the judgment of God works many times because there are people in our world today that don't understand how the judgment of God works. Many times, it's not a lightning bolt. It's not cancer. It's not a car accident. Many times in the word of God, judgment is, is uh, uh, meted out by God backing up. God just backs up. God doesn't always open the ground and swallow people alive into the middle of the earth. Sometimes he just backs away. One of the saddest verses in all of scripture is the story of Samson. And he started a downward trend. He wasn't thankful for what God had given him, how God had blessed him. And he went down, 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 down until finally bit by bit his conscience was hardened. And he, he, he finally got to a place where he revealed the secrets of his heart. The Bible says Delilah woke him up. He was at a point he couldn't even tell the difference between his friends and his enemies. That's a, that's a sad place to be. And if I could say one word of encouragement to everyone in this room, but especially if you're a teenager, don't ever confuse who are your friends and who are your enemies. Don't ever get that mixed up. Don't ever get that mixed up. Look at the people who are, they, they want the best for you. They want life for you. They want, they want peace and blessing for you. And look at the people who are trying to drag you away from God and trying to get you involved in things that have the potential to control your life for decades. Don't mix up your friends and your enemies. 
And there are times when Samson, the Bible says, Delilah woke him up and the Philistines are here and Samson got up and shook himself as he did before. And the, the next verse says, but Samson didn't even know that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. It was a, it was a, a process, a progression, little by little by little. And Samson was in a place, yeah, I know how to do this, I can do this. I can do this on my own. It's, you know, I've done this before. But it was the presence of God that, that was his source of power, his source of strength. Sometimes in picture Bibles, you'll see pictures of Samson. And they always draw him as a big bodybuilder, kind of looks like the rock or somebody like that. I don't think he looked like that. I think he probably, real seriously, I think he probably looked more like Barney Fife. Because the Bible says the Philistines couldn't figure out where his strength came from. He, I, I don't think he looked all buff and ripped, and I, I think they were just totally flummoxed. They had no, I, how, how does this guy do this? What is he eating? You know, and, and, and they just, they had no clue. So here we see one aspect of God's judgment here in Romans chapter 1. God just, he abandoned them. He let them, uh, left them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should not be done. So the next verse here, where are we? Verse 27. And, and so men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned in their lusts for each other. Men did shameful things with other men uh, as a result of this sin, and they suffered within themselves uh, the penalty they deserved. Uh, don't get, you know, this is God's word, folks. Verse 26, that's why God, again, God abandoned them to shameful desires. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself, which is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And here's, here's the third time we see this. God abandoned them to do, verse 24, to do shameful things uh, that their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's Bodies. Look at verse 23. Instead of worshiping the glorious and living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And verse 21, look at this. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him Thanks. Here's the first step right here. Here's the first step. This is where the spring pops out of the ground and turns into a huge river down the way because they refused to give God thanks. This is, this is borne out not only not only here in Romans, but over in, uh, in Paul's letter uh, to, to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. He said, you should know this. The last days will be difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. And then he continues on with a whole list of terrible, horrible, vile sins. What is it that keeps us from being grateful, from being thankful? What is it? Let me just give you a couple of things real quick. Number one unrealistic expectations. We have unrealistic expectations about life, about our job, about our spouse, about our family, all of these things. We expect, if we're not careful, we expect people to take the place of God. We expect people to meet all of our needs. We expect people to love us continually without ever a break. We expect people to provide for all of our needs. We expect people to give us direction and guide our decisions. And when they don't, we get hurt and we get resentful and we forget that David said in Psalms 86, you are great and you do wondrous things. And listen to this, you alone are God. You alone are God. My wife, I love my wife with all my heart. Baby, you're not God. You're not God. And, and I know you love me. And I know you already know this. I don't have to tell you, but I am not God. She looked a little surprised there for a minute. I know you couldn't see that, and it's, it was the shadows. You alone are God. You alone are God. Did you know that God created every human relationship to fall short on purpose? Even your marriage, even your marriage. And that God intends for us to turn to him. He's the only one that can satisfy my soul, the only one that can fill my heart. 
And I thank God. I thank God for my wife. She, I mean, she's, she is the most important human relationship I have on this earth. But she can't meet all of my needs. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And if you're expecting, you know, and Hollywood does a great job. Oh, you complete me. You had me at, you know, whatever the word was. I forget. But you, no, no, your spouse cannot. Only Jesus can complete you. Only Jesus. And the word of God says in Colossians 3.10, we are complete in him. That's the only place we find completion. Only God can do that. What is it that keeps us from from gratitude? Forgetfulness. We are forgetful people. And so God commands us throughout his word. Remember, remember, remember. Deuteronomy, what is it? Chapter chapter 5. He says, remember that you were once slaves. How many of you remember when you were a slave to sin? How many of you remember when you couldn't wait for the next drink, the next drug, the next snort, the next needle? You couldn't wait. I mean, there was one thing after another that some of you were addicted to all kinds of things, all kinds. And it's not always the drugs or the alcohol. It's just that that's visible and easy to see. But that we get addicted to all kinds, all kinds of things. And we need to remember that he has set us free, that he's delivered us. And we're no longer living in that slavery and in that bondage in Deuteronomy 7. He says, remember what the Lord God did to your enemies. I'm so thankful. That is the example used to describe what baptism is like for us, that the Red Sea was parted and we walked through that Red Sea on dry ground. That is salvation. That is deliverance. But close behind us, were the slave masters who wanted to enslave us again. And they were chasing us down. Greed and envy and anger and lust and depression and every kind of addictive spirit. They were hot on our tails. And even though we walked through, they were right there coming after us. And God took his hands from the water and every one of our enemies were destroyed in those waves of salvation, never to have control over our lives again. And as long as I'm staying close to Jesus, I walk in freedom and in power and in deliverance. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, remember how the Lord led through through the wilderness in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, be careful that you don't forget the God who gave you birth. They needed to remember God and we need to remember God because we live in in a world where we are saturated, bombarded by the influences of the world all around us. We are, I mean, all around us, there's worldly TV, there's worldly movies, there's worldly social media, there's worldly music. There's worldly uh, uh, thoughts, worldly culture. I mean, we, we swim in the influence that is godless and that is directly opposed to God and to the things of God. And we need to remember our Savior. We need to remember the Creator. We need to remember that He's called us to live in freedom and life. We need to remember the Lord. What keeps us from gratitude? A sense of entitlement. And our world is so good at this. I'm amazed. I'm amazed because I'm old enough to have this perspective. Some of you are not as old as me. So you don't have this perspective. But I remember when all of a sudden in commercials, they began to use this word. Get all that you deserve. We're trying to sell you this, but you deserve this. You deserve. You need to be sure you get all that you deserve. You deserve to be happy. You deserve all these kinds of things. One of the reasons I like that little saying, Pastor Paul, how you doing? Better than I deserve. I know what I deserve. And, I, and, and part of the miracle is that God has delivered me from what I deserve. I know what I de- I deserve hell. That's what I deserve. And he's rescued me from what I deserve. And he's given me everything I do not deserve. And I don't care how good you think you are and how good your grandma was and how good all your aunties are and all of that. The truth is the same for all of us. What we deserve is hell. The Bible says that sin is not something that I do. Read Ephesians chapter two, the first three verses, and it will say, you know, thank God we, you know, God has delivered us from all kinds of darkness and all kinds of, of disobedience and all that. As a matter of fact, Let me just see if I don't have it right. I do. I have it right here. I have it right here in my notes. All of us used to live that way. We used to, verse 3, in sin and in disobedience, following the passionate desires and inclinations. Look at this. Of our sinful nature. Listen, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. 
by our what? Our, I was born with something, with a heart condition. I was born, and I believe with all my heart, babies are born in innocence, but right around the time they get around two years old, they become the reincarnation of Joseph Stalin. I'm telling you, it's all about me and mine, and I want it, and it's mine, and, and I don't care whether you want it or not, it's mine, I want it, I gotta have it. And that little seed wakes up, and it begins to grow. We, here's the problem, folks, it's our nature. It's our nature. And we can learn, you know, how to tame it. You know, you can tame a bear. You can tame a lion. You can even get them to do tricks. But that nature, that nature is in there. It's hot. It's peeking out the windows. It's looking. It's checking. I don't always say everything. I don't have to say it out loud with my mouth. It's going on back there. And I can peer out the windows of my eyeballs and have all kinds of things. My nature needs to be rescued from the corruption And that happens by the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. I don't have to live like that. That God came. He had a remedy. He knew how to rescue us. He knew how to deliver us. And we don't have to live our lives feeling like I deserve all kinds of stuff. And I'm not getting it. And I'm just miserable and angry and mad. And life is unfair and unjust. No, no, no. I'm doing better than I deserve because I've received more than I deserve and I'm living in the provision of more than I could ever imagine and the future God has for me is better than I could ever deserve or imagine. What keeps us from gratitude? Comparison. Focusing on ourselves, even if it's the good things we're doing, makes it hard for us to be grateful for what other people are doing, being blind to God's grace let me, let me just close with this. I'm, I'm running out of time. But let me just close with this. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to this, this final passage. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to just hurry through this very quickly. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And if you're familiar with God's word, if you're familiar with the character by the name of Jehoshaphat, this is the story of Jehoshaphat. And the story begins in verse 1 that there were three enemy armies that came against the people of God. Not one, not two, but three. And they got word, they got word at the last minute. They didn't get word saying they're in Shreveport, they're coming here. No, 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 no. They didn't get word saying they're in Alexandria coming here. No, 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 no. They didn't even get word when they got to Lafayette. They, when they got word, they're in Koto. And they are coming at us right now. And they began to pray, and Jehoshaphat called a fast. As a matter of fact, look, look at verse, verse 12. Listen to the cry. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, God, God, I'm, I'm outnumbered. I'm outnumbered. Do you know that in Deuteronomy chapter 20, where God gives the rules for war to his people, that he starts off by saying, in verse 1, he says, when you are outnumbered, that's always been the devil's strategy. I'm going to outnumber I'm going to have a bigger giant, a bigger army. I'm going to have a bigger, you know, a bigger opposing force. And they'll be intimidated and frightened and scared. And they won't be able to fight because they will lose their will to win. They'll be frightened. And that's exactly the strategy he's using here, which are three armies. They're vastly outnumbered. As a matter of fact, some of the words that are used about how many there were, those words are are used throughout uh, the book of Judges. Joshua and Joseph, especially through Judges, 1st and 2nd Kings and Samuel. And and it, it describes the enemy horde as being so many that they covered the ground like locusts. It says that their camel, there were so many camels that they rode in. They were like the sand of the sea. It was impossible to number them. Just so you get an idea of the, the vastness of the enemy army that is coming. And they're crying out, God, God, what, what can we do? What can we do? Listen, all you people of Judah. This is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because of this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. How would you like for God to tell you that? There's like about a million people coming your way, and there's just us in this room. And God says, don't be afraid. Just go ahead and march out against them. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be like, God, can we talk for a minute? 
Can we just, can we just have another conversation? Are you sure? Are you really sure that's what you want us to do? Come on, God. And, and he says, tomorrow, I want you to walk out again. And he, he goes on, he says, verse 17, you won't even need to fight. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow. He goes on and then down, it, look at this. This is 2 Chronicles 20, 20. Oh, that might be a word for us, huh? 2 Chronicles 20, 20, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out. They went out into the wilderness. They obeyed God, even though it didn't look lush or or it didn't look promising or prosperous. It didn't look hopeful. They just obeyed God. And they marched out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And on the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and he said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you'll be able to stand firm. That's a word for 2020. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. And after consulting the people, the king appointed the singers to walk ahead of the army. How you like that? How you like that, Isaac? They appointed all the music, the worship. We want the worship team. Bree, I'd like for you to be right behind Isaac. I'm going to let him lead the way. But I want, I want the worship team to get out in front. And I want that. Now that sounds like a military strategy, doesn't it? Yes, a military strategy. I heard a guy who came back from the Middle East and he was describing some of the things that he had experienced. And he said, you know, over in that culture, it's not uncommon. They'll ask the women to walk about 10 paces ahead of the men. And I was like, really? Why do they do that? And he said, in case there's landmines. I was like, oh my goodness. We want the singers to be out in front. We want them to go ahead. They're not carrying spears and swords and shields and RPGs and, and M16s and driving Bradleys and Abrams M1 tanks. They're out there with a cornet and a flute and a drum. But I want you to look at this, and I'm sure as they're walking along, they're like, God, oh, Jehoshaphat, did you really hear from the Lord? Are you really, really sure? You put us up here, and we, I'm telling you, man, I am so scared. I just... I'm, I'd, all I have is my horn and I just don't know how that's going to help. Look what he put them in the front and, and he said, I want you to go out there. I want you to lead the way and I want you to sing to the Lord, praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. I don't know how it played out exactly, but I would imagine they're taking one step and just pausing as long as they can before they have to take the next one. And then another one, I give thanks to the Lord. I'm giving thanks to the Lord. God, I thank you. I remember my daddy told me about how my granddaddy walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I remember I remember the stories about, jo- about uh, Joshua and our nation walking around the walls of Jericho and how they fell down when the people shouted because they had obeyed the Lord. The walls don't fall before you obey. They fall after you obey. And they obeyed and the walls fell down. And I can see him there walking along. Man, I remember how David walked out there and even his own brothers were belittling him and trash talking him and dissing him. But I'm telling you, when, when Goliath stood up and began to rebuke the God of Israel, something rose up inside of David. He grabbed that little slingshot. It looked like a toy to everybody else. But he took that thing and God used a toy to kill a giant. And I see him there walking a little harder and a little firmer and a little more excited. Something's rising up inside of them. We're serving. I, that's my blood. That's my blood. That's the, those, are, those are my fathers. I, that's what's flowing inside of my veins. That's my God. And they, they are remembering again and again the faithfulness of God and how God was there for them, how God brought them through. And they are thanking God. And the, the process of thanking God sparks their memory. And they have to remember God's faithfulness, how God's never failed. He's never dropped them. They've never lost because of God being unfaithful to them. And I see them, the Bible says, as soon as they began to sing and praise and thank the Lord, God put confusion in the hearts of the enemy and those three armies turned against one another and they killed each other in the confusion of battle. And when the people of Israel rose over the hill and looked down where there there was certain doom, certain failure, certain destruction, certain death, 
every one of the enemy soldiers was dead. The Bible says not one survived and they renamed that valley the Valley of Blessing. And they walked down there and they began to take the jewelry and they began to take the plunder and the Bible says there was so much they couldn't even carry it all off. It took them three days to walk out with everything that God had blessed them with from those enemies. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm telling you that the enemy wants to put fear in your heart and make you afraid to obey God. And I'm telling you, God's trustworthy. And if you will begin to thank God, that is one of the most powerful weapons against fear. Not just ingratitude, but against fear. You begin to thank God for his faithfulness to you. Begin to thank him for the times when you couldn't sleep at night and you were upset and you were worried and God's hand rested on you and he spoke a word of peace to you and you were able to fall asleep and sleep like a baby. You thank God for the times when you didn't, you couldn't pay the bills and God somehow, somehow it was all okay. It worked out. There was provision. You thank God for the times when the doctors didn't know what to do and God touched you and healed you and raised you up. You thank God for the times when you were depressed and you just didn't know if you could put one foot in front of the other and God reached down and breathed life into you and that darkness just burnt away like the morning fog and the glory of God came down and brightened your life and your heart. Thank God, thank God, thank God and fear will leave your heart and you will rise up in confidence. Could you just bow your heads with me right now? Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, if you are in this place and you need to begin to be thankful to God, to defeat fear, to defeat ingratitude, lift your hands right now. I'm going to pray for you, every one of you. Father, in the name of, I don't know if it's a health problem, a financial problem, a marriage problem. Uh, I don't know if it's a, it, it, what it might be, but Father, Father, in the name of Jesus, I think you're still God over COVID. You're God over cancer. You're God over death. You are God over every difficulty. You're God over every obstacle. I thank you, Lord, for coming into this place and into our hearts and for defeat, for showing us how to use the weapons. Lord, we want to do exactly what Paul said. Lord, we want to train ourselves to be godly. It's not automatic. We want to train ourselves to be godly. We want to begin to adopt this attitude of gratitude. We want to begin to say to ourselves and to everyone else, I am better than I deserve. And I'm going to live in that. I'm going to walk in that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give praise and thanks to my God 24 seven because he's worthy and he is deserving. And I'm going to be above and not beneath as I do that. I'm going to rise to the top. God, I thank you for joy unspeakable and full of glory. I thank you for deliverance. I thank you for deliverance. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a moment, I want to give a, an invitation. If you're in this place, you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know there's a God in heaven who loves you. Maybe you heard that God was mad at you. Maybe you heard he was angry with you. And I want to tell you that's simply not true. The Bible says that right now in the age in which we live, God is not counting men's sins against them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There is someone who's counting and keeping track, but it's not God. It's the accuser of the brethren. He's keeping track and he's accusing you. God came to set you free. God came to deliver you. God came to live inside of you and break every chain of bondage and give you life abundantly. Life, but not just existing, thriving, thriving. And the way that he's provided for us to enter into that life is simply by surrendering to him. That we come to him with hearts that are totally honest before him. That we're able to say, God, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've gone places I never should have gone. I am a sinner. And I need you. I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. And if I come to God and I'm honest about who I am and who he is, and I, I come humbly before him and I ask him, Lord, would you accept me? I'll give you my life if you will accept me. That may, may seem a frightening thing to you, but that's the right attitude. It's not the, the prodigal son didn't come home and say to his dad, okay, I accept you as my father. No, no, it's the other way around. We come to God and say, Lord, would you accept me? And the Bible says that anyone who comes to God, he would not reject. 
What an amazing promise. If you're here in this place and you would like for Jesus to live in your life, you'd like to know God, you'd like to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your eternity is settled, that, that if you would die, that you would be with the Lord. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you'd like to pray this prayer with me, would you just lift your hand? I want to know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. But just lift your hand up. I see this hand over here. I see hands right there. Anyone else? Lift your hand up real high. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to lead you in prayer. And I'd like for everyone to repeat after me. Some of you, for the first time, I see your hands. You can put them down. I see your hands. Some of you, for the first time, and, and all the rest of us, remembering the first time we prayed it. Would you pray with me right now? Let's all pray out loud. Let's use our outside voice. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I confess I'm a sinner. I've done things I shouldn't have done. I've gone places I shouldn't have gone. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Please live in my heart. I love you and I will live for you. I will serve you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for all of my life until I finally see you face to face. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Come on, church. Would you give God thanks? Give God thanks right now. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hearing our cry. Thank you for being here with us. Amen. Amen.